Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 20, The First Task. And this is awesome, because we have a guest back who, it's been a while since you've been on, Molly is back. Oh, hey! Uh, So this is a big chapter, but before we get into it, there is a shout-out that I want to mention. Danielle D., has uh, left us a couple of comments through Spotify and, and Anchor, uh, saying that she really enjoyed uh, listening to Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament. She enjoys listening to the podcast every week, and that means a lot to us, and uh, I know it's awesome to kind of read those comments. And uh, she's, she's from Oregon, which also blows my mind, because we're based in Illinois, yep. and we've been heard in all 50 states, which is mind-blowing, and uh, thank you for all the love in Oregon and all the listens. We really, really appreciate it. Keep commenting. Please leave a like, review, comment, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on Spotify or Anchor, Apple, Google Podcasts. All that stuff really helps uh, and it gets us out to even more people so they can listen. Um, And also, if you're listening on Anchor, you can leave a voice message, which is really cool. And you can actually end up hearing your own voice on our podcast by leaving one of those voice messages. So... Uh, feel free to leave one of those, and uh, you might end up on the podcast. For Twitter, we recently we've ran a couple of polls. We're only going to get to one of the poll <laughs> results on this particular episode because it has something to do specifically with this chapter, and then we'll get to the others on the next the next chapter. But for right now, we have the favorite Triwizard Champion. So we ran two versions of this poll. We ran a Twitter version and we ran an Instagram version. The Twitter version had Harry as part of the poll. So, <laughs> I feel bad, because Harry got 59% of the vote, which I think... Overwhelmingly not surprised. Overwhelmingly not surprised, yeah. yeah. Cedric uh, finished second with 29%, Floor came in at 12%, and Crumb, poor Crumb... I know, no love for Crumb. ...got a 0% on our Twitter poll. But which, zero. That's unfortunate. I know. Um, he did get a little bit more love on... <laughs> On the Instagram poll, when we took Harry out of the equation, <laughs> uh, your favorite Triwizard champion, not named Harry Potter, and that was a little bit more interesting. Cedric got 62% of the vote, which isn't terribly surprising, given yeah. he's our Hogwarts guy. Uh, Floor jumped way up from 12 to 23%, and Crumb jumped from 0 to 15%, so still way behind, but at least he got some votes, yeah. some love. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of poll? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to take Harry out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, i got to go with my fellow Hufflepuff. Get a vote for Cedric. That's fair. Uh, yeah. But then my second vote would be Crumb. And Interesting. Then I would, and okay. then I would vote for Fleur. I think I'm, I'm, on, your, yeah. I'm on your same wavelength. Uh, Ced, I've been a huge fan of Cedric throughout this book so far, so why change now? Why? Uh, but... I would go Cedric, Crum, and Flora. I, we need to have a Crum deep dive here at some points because I think he's a more interesting character than a lot of people give him credit for. I totally agree. And uh, there's been some tidbits that have been dropped about him so far that are interesting, like him spending so much time in the library and, and so forth. So right. there's some interesting things about Crum. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised by all the love for Flora. I know. I don't know. I just. Uh... I don't know where they're getting that from exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. So let us know your thoughts behind it. And like I said a couple of minutes ago, leave us those comments uh, about, you know, kind of your reasoning why Fleur and Crumb might or might not get your votes. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. So this chapter is pretty massive. It's the first task. Uh, There are some other things going on. Uh, You get uh, Cedric being the only one unaware that the dragons are a thing. So... We get Harry kind of informing Cedric about that. Yeah. We get a meeting in Moody's office. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> we get the summoning charms finally coming back. They've been hinting at that for a while with, man, Harry's really bad at summoning charms. Right. Uh, they keep mentioning that. Well, it's now a thing. Uh, we get some McGonagall advice. We get some Bagman trying to give advice. Oh, Bagman. And then we get the actual task itself, which is a whole thing, which we will dive oh into. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to that, and that will take up a lot of it. So we'll, we'll get there. But to start off, I just want to mention, we got a Ginny mention. And Jen and I have gone on about how Ginny's kind of just disappeared. Like, Chamber of Secrets was Ginny, 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 for obvious reasons. And then she just kind of, like, went off the page. Yeah. And we haven't seen her. And then right out the gate of this chapter, we get a Ginny mention sitting, uh, sitting with them. Yeah. She exists. She officially exists. It's not like she transferred out of Hogwarts for like a semester or something. Yeah. She exists. She's alive and well. Mm-hmm. And Harry took it upon himself to tell Cedric uh, what he will potentially be facing like the day before. Mm-hmm. And we talked in one of our last episodes about how Cedric's clearly got the least amount of help here, right? Like Cedric's on an island because you figure Karkaroff has told Krim. You figure Maxime has told floor. Harry obviously knows. I don't think Sprout is, like, leading him into the Forbidden Forest. No. So he's on his own. Yeah. And these other students have had days to prep. Yeah. He's getting told this the day before. Yeah. Could you imagine being Cedric and being like, hey, you got dragons. Good luck. No. Figure this out. Yeah. No. And, like, I think that's, too, like, a very Hufflepuff thing, and I think that's why I admire him as a Triwizard Tournament champion because he has that loyalty in him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, why would I get help? Like, that's not part of the rules. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he's just, uh, I think Harry speaks a lot. I think he directly speaks to what I think Cedric asked him, like, why are you telling me this? Yeah. And he goes, fair. <laughs> like, we're all on the same even playing field now. Everybody yeah. knows, even though they're really not, because he's getting the least amount of prep for it. <laughs> but now everybody knows. Yeah. So everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I think, yeah, and I like that. I think that says a lot about, like, even Harry's character, that he wants everybody to be on the same playing field, that he's not just taking this information and running away with it. So. I think of the four houses. Uh, obviously, the, the split was between Gryffindor and Slytherin for Harry. Right. I think of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, he'd be much more a puff. Oh, 100%. Because we've, again, it goes into the you know first year dumb, second year stupid thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's safe to say Harry wouldn't be a Ravenclaw at any point. It would be the fourth of the, <laughs> of the four, but anyway. Yeah. So Moody also takes note of this act of kindness from Harry. And brings him into his office for kind of a, a little prep chat, I guess. Yeah. And starts off with being like, look, cheating's always been a part of the Triwizard Tournament. It's always happened. Everybody knows about it. It's fine. Uh, let's just try not to get you killed. Um, <laughs> but I love his advice. I think his advice is really on point. Uh, it's also, I don't want to call it dumb advice. But it's obvious advice? Yes. Like, play to your strengths. Right. What are you actually good at? And something simple. Like, you're... We know you don't have the magical knowledge that the other three do just because you're younger. You've had less magical schooling. Mm-hmm. So use something simple. Right. That, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and this kind of strategy... I like, I like the strategy session. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about Moody kind of talking it over with them? Oh, I like it. Um, I mean, I, I would say everything that you said pretty much. Just it's very straightforward, very like, all right, like you can't go crazy with this or else they'll know that you knew. What is something easy and obvious that you would think to do in a situation like that? Oh, hey. <laughs> have, have you ever had a discussion with like, uh, oh, here, I'll, I'll even tie it in. Have you had a patient? Yeah. And you've told them, like, an exercise to do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not good at that. Or I can't, I'm not strong enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And then you respond the same way Moody does with like, you're strong enough if I tell you you're strong enough. Go do it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that sure. idea of like, you have strengths if I say you have strengths. Figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it takes like Harry like a second to be like, oh, wait, I am good at this. But how can I use that? And then they right. kind of talk that through, which is awesome. Um, yeah. I know I've had that conversation with student athletes before. So yeah, so they come up with the idea that obviously Quidditch is his strength. His thing is flying. So now the question then becomes, how do I do this when I only have a wand? Yeah. And I'm not allowed a broom. Okay. Well, now there's a simple spell that you could probably use that may have been a thing that's been mentioned in previous chapters. Summoning charm, summoning charm, summoning charm. Harry can't do it. Harry can't do it. Finally figures it out. Here's my question to you about this summoning charm. Okay. We obviously know it was set to him as homework in charms class. Mm-hmm. He goes to Hermione for help. And I get why. I know why. People are probably yelling at me right now listening to this, <laughs> being like, it's his, one of his best friends who's really smart. Of course he would go. I get that. But he could go to the charms teacher. He could. And be like, hey, can you help me out with this summoning charm that I couldn't get in class like three weeks ago? Yeah. And it's Flitwick. <laughs> like, yeah. you get a pro helping you with your summoning charm. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's a tough question. And it doesn't count as like help with the Triwizard Tournament. Right. It counts as help with homework. Homework. Right. right. I think that at the same time, Flitwick is smart enough, he's a Ravenclaw, to be like, why are you all of a sudden real curious about a summoning The day before charm? your test. <laughs> huh. <laughs> that being said, I think Flitwick would help. I think he would help him. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you did fail this exam. Right. Okay, you do need help with this charm, because whatever. Right. I, I think he'd do it, though. Yeah. Do you think, then, would Flitwick helping him have Harry get the charm quicker? No. Because it takes, like, Hermione, like, a full day yeah. of intense practice. Yeah. Minus the, what, hour and a half for arithmetic or something like that? So, here's my theory on that. Because I have thought about that. I think it goes back to the whole, you gotta mean it with magic. hmm So, I think it's interesting that he gets it. And he gets it very well down, you know, towards the hour because he means it and he needs it so okay so i think it's like a desperation thing yeah that kind of comes through right so i guess in the teaching styles then obviously hermione with her friend is stressing that importance of like let's not have you die tomorrow right whereas flitwick would come at it with more of like a literal academic classroom of like no this is technically how you do this spell Yes. Without the emotional attachment to it. Yes. And you think Harry excels with the emotional attachment. I think he very much excels because, I mean, he even says, like, oh, now I know what to do whenever I need to get a spell before an exam. I just have to involve a dragon. That's true. <laughs> I do like when they decide on what their plan is, they go for it. Oh, they go all in. It's like, and I guess yeah whenever harry needs to figure out something just bring a dragon into it that's fine it's like but harry you, you could accomplish a lot if you had like a little bit of the motivation that hermione has to like right study and get better and practice right like the quidditch you know you're great at quidditch mm-hmm. well you go and you practice a lot mm-hmm. maybe maybe <laughs> this is your thing i don't know um anyway yeah. uh so i thought that was interesting that goes to hermione instead of flitwick not oh, even yeah. a thought to flitwick yeah. And given it was homework, but... Yeah. Well, I feel like, too, I mean, in those situations, like, I know I would be intimidated to go to a teacher first. I think I would start with my friends, and I think I would be like, oh, hey, like, what do you think? Like, what are your thoughts? And then if everyone was stumped, then I would be like, all right. <laughs> well, you talk about that, too, with, like, Cedric is... How much help do you think he's getting even from fellow Hufflepuffs? Oh, I don't think he's really getting any help at all. I mean, just the way that he handled, you know, the the first task in general. It was a very, like, 
compared to the other three. It was a very, I think, student thought out type of solution to the problem. Whereas the other three, I mean, Harry was too, to a certain degree, because he did get help. Right. But, and I mean, the other two did too. But, like, the other two, it was so advanced magic. Right. <laughs> that most of those students are probably not learning. They're probably in the same boat as most of the Hogwarts students. So you think, like, Fleur and Crumb are literally sitting on the boat and in the carriage, like, drilling, like Hermione and Harry here. Like, we're doing this spell over and over and over again until we get it, like, perfectly, perfectly right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's just get to the task. Yeah. So we get down, uh, the, I think Harry gets pulled from the Great Hall to go down to the tent right outside the enclosure. And I also like how Cedric's already there. Like, yeah. he didn't get pulled from the Great Hall. He was, like, already there uh, with Floor and Crumb. And I like McGonagall's advice. McGonagall, like, puts a hand on his shoulder and is just like, keep a cool head, don't panic, do your best. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine. Uh, no one will think less of you. No one will whatever. You see the softer side of Minerva McGonagall, um, which you don't see very often at all. Uh, but we get to hear a little bit. And I think you had a note about um, the man of the hour, Ludo Bagman. Oh, man. Oh, Ludo. <laughs> I think him and Lockhart have probably hung out in the past. Whether or not they actually had, like, a conversation where they both got something from one another, I don't think happened. But, um, yeah, I love the fact that he's wearing his old Quidditch robe to the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. Uh, why? I defended him wearing the Quidditch robes at the Quidditch World Cup. It's I'm hard like, to in this situation. It's hard. It's a little weird. <laughs> it's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Now this comes across as you really trying to hang on to your former glory. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I can't imagine me showing up to, like, a World Series game, but I'm wearing, like, an old <laughs> basketball jersey. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Like, I can't place that in my head of where that would be appropriate. <laughs> but good for him anyway. I you know, whatever. I just have so many thoughts about Bagman, like, sitting in a sports betting place. Like, you mentioned Bagman and Lockhart. Could you imagine them trying to scam people? Oh, God. And win bets that way? Mm hmm. Like, all it would take, it, well, first of all, I guess it wouldn't even have to be a scam. You could just memory charm <laughs> them and win the bet that way, I right. guess. <laughs> oh my god, how many sporting events would be fixed? Yup. Right. Oh, it'd be terrible. <laughs> I just picture Badman like hanging out in the equivalent of like a Vegas like sports book place <laughs> in his old Quidditch In his old Quidditch rooms. <laughs> Like, yeah, there was that one time. Uh, so he announces to the champions that the task is to collect the golden egg. And as he's kind of going over this, Harry can hear hundreds and hundreds of feet walk by the tent mm -hmm. on their way to the, the enclosure, which, again, brings up this question of how many people are actually here? Um, and are there other people coming in? for this event? Like, is the general public allowed? Yeah. I don't know. Because we know for a fact there are only 20 students from Bobaton and Durmstrang. Yeah. Like, they only brought 10 per yeah. school. So there's 20. Yeah. So how many other people are really coming to this thing? Unless it's like a hairy anxiety, like, there's so many people coming to watch. And I think that's where, you know, J.K. Rowling does a good job with the writing and you feel like you're in Harry's position. Mm -hmm. Like, I, when I was rereading this, like, I was literally, like, getting sweaty and, like, feeling that, like, pre, like, competition game feeling. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know, I think she does a fantastic job of, of putting you in Harry's spot and that pre-game excitement nervousness i like the descriptions that she has of the other champions mm -hmm. um because every time we've seen them they've been calm cool and collected yeah and this is nothing to them mm -hmm. and cedric's obviously uh not feeling his best 
Fleur is obviously off her game, not looking the composed individual that she has been. And Crumb, the, the image that they give is surly. I'm assuming he just gets, like, angrier. Yeah. The more anxious he gets. I can see that. It seems like, too, I mean, I would assume with him being, like, a famous Quidditch player, like, he's used to the pressure of having to compete. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, there's pressure on him in the Quidditch World Cup. Yes. Obviously. You're the seeker of a team that has a chance to win the Quidditch World Cup. You're the best player. You are the Leo Messi on Argentina <laughs> in the World Cup. The best player on arguably one of the best teams, and you're playing for it. That's pressure. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's under more pressure being in the Triwizard Tournament where everybody knows he's famous, everybody knows he's really gifted, and now you're being put in the spotlight again, and you're, not your flying ability necessarily, but your talent as a wizard is on the stage. That's a great question. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like Quidditch is something that's very much in his wheelhouse. Like he's used to the pressures of playing. Um, he's used to being in that position. I don't think the the fact that he's a famous Quidditch player weighs heavily on him in this situation. I think he's used to that because that's a day to day thing for him. But I could see where his he's being judged for his skills as a wizard would definitely put more pressure on him. Like a little out of his comfort zone kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, he's out of his wheelhouse, he's out of his comfort zone. He obviously volunteered for this. Right. I don't think Karkaroff had like a wand to his back and was like, <laughs> you're doing this. Right. I think he volunteered, but he also hasn't played up the whole, I'm here, I'm famous. No. I'm really good. I'm a world-class athlete. I'm X, Y, or Z. Yeah, like, no. he's never played that at once. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the image of him being surly is a weird... Like, I don't know how you ever felt before competitions. Yeah. But I don't know that surly is ever a word I can use to describe myself. Yeah. Before I'm ready to, like... I guess I'd play, the, like, the disrespect card. Yeah. But he ain't, he's not getting the disrespect card. No. People are expecting him to perform. Right. Well, I know, so, because I played soccer. Mm -hmm. I played soccer growing up. Whenever, like, I know it's different, but, like, if I got hurt during a game, I was not the nicest person <laughs> to be approached. <laughs> I was just like, give me a minute. So I could see, too, where you're in these you're about to be in this pressured situation like you kind of want to go into yourself a little bit mm -hmm. and not be bothered by people so your first reaction would be to be surly your description of that makes him at the quidditch world cup with a broken nose seem so much more on point of him just being like <laughs> get away from me i'm fine yeah. <laughs> like just give like, me a minute just let me be <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know it's I get that he definitely wouldn't have a problem with the crowd. The crowd wouldn't bug him at all, because that's something he's used to. Yeah. But I wonder if he does feel any, like, internal pressure with himself. Of, like, right. this is not... This isn't Quidditch. Right. This is something different. Right. Am I good enough for this? I don't know. It'd be interesting. Uh, so we get to... There's a lot to break down here. Okay. So we have the dragons. Um... So each contestant is picking a dragon out of this bag with a number around the dragon, indicating the order in which you will compete. So we get Flora going first, and she gets the Welsh green uh, with the number two. Crum gets the Chinese fireball with the number three. Cedric, the least prepared, gets the <laughs> Swedish short snout with the number one. Of course, Cedric. Of course. And Harry gets, uh, quite obviously, the angriest of the four dragons, the Hungarian Horntail, with the number four spot. So, you know, I just joked about Cedric being the least prepared getting the first spot. That, I think, works for him and against him. Obviously, you don't have the time to further your thought process, mm -hmm. but maybe furthering out the thought process, not a good thing sometimes. Maybe yeah. just going right into it maybe helps him, mm -hmm. because we get the other three champions going, and you hear Harry being like, Oh man, this sounds intense. This is 
and the more he hears, the more like apprehensive he is about this experience. So maybe going first is the best thing? Just get it over with? Yeah, I think it depends on the person and the situation. Um, I could see definitely where going first would be the advantage. Like you said, you're not thinking about it. You're not sitting back there just like listening to everybody go and their performance and Bagman's commentary and mm-hmm. overthinking every little thing. But at the same time, too, if you're still trying to like lock your plan down or you just want more time to kind of like collect yourself, I could see where going last would be an advantage as well. For sure. Let's break this down combatant by combatant. All, All right. right. So Cedric goes first. So let's break down Cedric first. He gets the Swedish shorts now. It takes him about 15 minutes to complete the task, which, in my mind, is pretty good. I was impressed. This is pretty good. When they said 15, I was like, dang, that's quick. It, it's Now, I'm sure to him, that is in eternity. Yeah. Like, that oh. seems like forever right. when you're in that moment. Uh, but 15 minutes, honestly, all things considered, to, to best a dragon, mm-hmm. it's not bad. No. Right? So, uh, he was burned. He was pretty badly burned, um, mostly over the face, right? The side of the face, I think, is what mainly got burned. Uh, pretty boy Cedric got, got, <laughs> got his face burned a little bit. Um, but his method of besting his dragon was he transfigured a rock to become a Labrador, a dog. Yeah! I know, I knew Molly was going to love this. I knew it. <laughs> Uh, so he transfigured a rock to become a lab and have the dragon go after the... It, it's not a dog. It's a rock. Yeah. So he tricked the dragon to chasing this rock that looks like a dog now. We would, I would have significant, significant issues if it was a real lab. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. I have a lab. <laughs> <laughs> so did you... Th- think the scenario through with Odin and being like Odin running away from a these are 50 foot tall dragons by the way 50 foot tall like, dragons Odin go I got run, this run get out of here uh yeah I don't think Odin would love this experience no he's uh, a big chicken he's yeah. fang he's fang in in real life no joke that's true I have met Odin on a couple of occasions this is factual uh, I can confirm <laughs> Uh, so what do you think? What do you think about Cedric's, like, strategy here? I think it's a decent thought process. You know, the whole, like, bait and switch type thing. Again, I think it's very, like, school-aged thinking um, in terms of, like, all right, what can I do? Oh, well, maybe I can just transfigure something. You know, a little last minute. So, but I think it's decent. I think it plays to, like, his his i guess how they built him up as being like a good student yeah like to actually use a bit of transfiguration which transfiguration is not an easy no uh branch of magic so to be able to transform uh, a rock into something that's large enough to gauge or to attract a dragon's attention and then to have it move and i'm assuming you're also controlling it while you're going for the egg to keep it like away or is it just like a dog that just runs <laughs> Ooh, i didn't even think about that is, is he that... controlling it too or is he just like letting it go be like a thing while he goes around the side yeah i, I haven't even, i didn't think about that because that would be really difficult to try to be controlling something while running after right the easy answer is, no, he just lets it become a dog and then let it run yeah. haphazardly around right. the enclosure. But how I think of it is, I would want to control it. I would almost have it like on a track and be like, go away specifically from the dragon. Because yeah. I can't imagine this thing is particularly smart if it's a rock. Right. So yeah. you've got to keep it away from the dragon for as long as humanly possible. Right. But then you have to wonder, like, okay, is the, I don't know. Is the dragon really going to be enamored with this dog like because Cedric is the one right like Cedric is the one that's going after the eggs like I would think that that dragon would be more protective over the eggs and somebody going towards it than I don't know I could be totally wrong I'm just well that's what I thought is like a lab is a big dog 
So it might entice the dragon a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if Cedric was like, this is something I'm familiar with that I could do in a moment's notice under pressure. Yeah. Or, like, does he have the skill at this point in time to go bigger? Like a bear or something else that might be a little bit more uh, appealing or threatening or however you want to phrase it to the dragon. Yeah. I don't know. I'm an even bigger fan of Cedric now. When I'm oh, now that I'm thinking about it, the man is a lab lover. <laughs> He's an attractive, smart <laughs> lab lover. Like, is he just like? So wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, so wait, are you thinking of his magical Tinder profile? I, I am. <laughs> Smoldering gray eyes, dark hair, straight nose. <laughs> In a lab, because every guy has to have that dog in his picture. Do you think like that's his like his um, like pickup line type thing? Like he just all of a sudden transfigures a rock into a lab, and like you're instantly wooed. I can see it. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I did not think we were gonna go magical Tinder on this, but here I'm you go. I'm gonna swipe right. <laughs> is that the right way to do that? I don't know. I think it is. Okay. Uh, what would we call it, though? It can't be called Tinder. we got to come up with a name for that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Online dating for wizards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Floor is a Welsh, uh, gets the Welsh green. She's the second one to go. Takes her 10 minutes, uh, which is even more impressive. Now, she, obviously, like we talked about, had a little bit more time to prep for this than Cedric did. So she comes up with this sleepy trance spell that she puts on the dragon, which I can imagine would take a profound amount of skill to pull off. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we're talking a dragon, I can't imagine a dragon's easily distracted or easily swayed one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It takes seven fully grown adult wizards to even just stun this enough. Yeah. So... To put one to sleep with one spell, or at least drowsy enough that you can get the egg, that's profoundly talented. Like, it if is. you're really breaking it down. Uh, she does have her skirt catch on fire. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, like, a skirt is, is your choice? I'm assuming it's like a tennis skirt. Like, shorts underneath, yeah. tennis skirt. Okay, yeah. Um, like a running skirt, okay. Kind of, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Not like, although I guess... Okay, if I'm being honest, that's what I'm thinking of now logically. Mm-hmm. Reading this, yes, I was thinking of like a blue, like yeah. dressy skirt yeah. in my head, which does not make sense at all. Right. That, That'd be a very bad choice. Yeah, especially going into it knowing it's a dragon. Like, yeah. It, Unless you're that supremely confident, which I can see Fleur having like an air of. Yeah. An air of arrogance to her, <laughs> where it's like. I got this. I'm fine. I might as well look great while I'm doing it. Do you think some of that sleepy trance had some of that Vila in her? Well, so that's a good point. That's a good point. I wonder if that magic, like Moody said, played to your strengths. Right. I'm wondering if if that spell combined with her being part Vila, combined with the core of her wand Mm -hmm. being from a Vila does impact that and make that magic stronger. Right. Like, That's an interesting idea. Like, maybe she's really good with, like, trance states or imperious curses. Right. And that type of That's thing. That's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting take on that. I like that. Yeah. Um, that would make a lot, a lot more sense in the playing up to your strengths bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have Crumb is the third one up with the Chinese fireball, which sounds in, like an aggressive dragon to me. <laughs> it does. Uh, we don't get a time for Crumb. No. They don't state how long it took for him to subdue his dragon. But uh, we know that he did do it with a spell to the eye. Mm-hmm. Which is an aggressive way of going about this. The magically imbued thicker hides would be hard mm-hmm. to get through. Well, now he seems to have found a weak spot and going for the eye. Uh, which, this seems like a Karkaroff tip. Totally. This strikes me as a Karkaroff tip. Right. Granted, Karkaroff can give as many tips as he wants. Krem's the one that actually went out and hit the eye of a dragon with a spell. Impressive. It's impressive. Very impressive. It, it's, 
that takes a lot of accuracy, a lot of fortitude to just stand there and try to hit this thing with a... I mean, I get some of his Quidditch skills might come into play, like mm -hmm. moving targets mm -hmm. and maybe some accuracy things, even though he's not going to grab something specifically, mm -hmm. but maybe like estimating where something's going to be so he can like go after it, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> However, it did backfire on him a little bit in that the stunned dragon did trample over some of the other eggs, which led to not so great of a score. I feel like he should have been knocked harder on that. Yeah, probably. But we can get to the scoring in a second, because the scoring was a little uh, questionable. It was. So, uh, Harry is the fourth one, and obviously we get the full uh, encounter. Uh, he was the quickest to accomplish his task. Which, I'm trying to think of this. If he's summoning a broom, mm -hmm. and the broom is in, first of all, how do they not... There's no harm in Hermione taking the broom out of the castle at some point, yeah? Yeah. Why did it have to be in the castle still? Also, did it break windows coming out, or did Hermione, like, open a window in the Gryffindor Tower? <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe that's, how, maybe that's what she did. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. But, like, why would you make it so tough on yourself that you have to navigate this broom through the castle? Do you think it, like, went down, like, the stairs and, like... As they were like changing over and like, had to stop, the... <laughs> go back, go up another stairway. It changed. It's like damn. All right, yeah. come it's like, did did it go down one of the secret passageways? I have to duck a whomping right. willow swing. Like, what's happening there? I don't right. know. I felt like they could have organized that a little bit better if you knew that's how you were gonna do it. I digress. Um, but you, so you have to wait for the broom to get from point A to point B. Uh, then you actually have to get on the broom, fly, and coax the dragon. You have to take time to coax it. So clearly, it took him less than 10 minutes to do all this, which is impressive. That's awesome. He had, uh, he, since he was the quickest, he only got scratched on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. As far as we know, I don't think Crumb got injured at all during his, I don't believe. I don't think so. At least not that I'm aware of them saying. So... Really, he came out second best of all of this, injury-wise. Yeah. So that is a bonus to him in his scoring. The scoring now. I think it was an 8 from Maxine, a 9 from Crouch, a yep. 9 from Dumbledore, yep. a 10 from Bagman. That's it. And then a 4 from Karkaroff. Yeah, that seemed odd. Uh, it seemed a little odd. Lame. Uh, there might be a little bit of bias there somewhere. So in the scoring, Harry then ends up tied with Crumb for first place. Crumb was pretty well received as clearly the second best performer. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Karkaroff's scoring was that way off, even though he also gave him a 10. I think he gave Crumb a 10 despite the egg debacle. Yes. So... Uh, you know, that's a little sketch, but we don't know what Cedric and Flora's scores were specifically, so we don't know how far behind they were. Right. Uh, but I imagine Cedric got marked off for getting his face burned pretty badly, and yeah. uh, the skirt catching on fire, probably not a great look. Now, do you think the scars on Cedric's face are, you know, like handsome scars? You know, like makes him look a little bit more gruff. So, do you think, so <laughs> are they handsome scars or are they moody scars, are what you're saying? Yeah. I think, I think Madame Pomfrey does a pretty good job and, and cleans him up pretty good. Yeah. And I don't think it's probably minimal at best. Yeah. Here's my real question, is if Cedric is apparently his defining trait is how good looking he is, to be fair, from everybody else. Yeah. And oddly, Ron, a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he is making that He makes a lot of comments on how good-looking Diggory is. That's fine. <laughs> so, do you think Diggory makes a comment about it at all? Do you think he goes in there and is like, Madam Pomfrey, you really got to clean <laughs> up these scars on my face so I can't... Or do you think he's just like, I just beat a dragon. Yeah. Like, this is sweet. Right. Like, I'm pretty happy with my performance or whatever. Like, he's more performance and logistic based about yeah. it and not tied up in vanity. Yeah. 
Probably, I mean, more logistics-based. I strike it as more of a performance thing than a vanity thing. Yeah, I don't definitely. think he'd go in there. Yeah. Being like, oh my god, Madame Pomfrey, can you please, like, help me get these scars away? I can't look like this. Make me look like Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Young Harrison Ford. <laughs> Sorry for that tangent. I just... <laughs> That's fine. One of the things that stuck out to me about this chapter, and we're going long on this non-spoiler, so for, forgive me on that, but... I love Harry's description of being in the enclosure and not being able to really discern whether things being screamed at him are positive or negative. And it just kind of caught me as like, I think, who, oh, who said it? Ron or Hermione, I think one of them said that overall, once the school, once Hogwarts figured out what exactly they had to do, most of them were cheering for Harry, Harry to do well. Yeah. And it's like, once they figured out like, oh no, this kid could die. <laughs> like. Let's not have that. <laughs> like, they were more for him than against him at that point. And it's kind of this, Anna will like this reference a lot. It made me think of Teddy Roosevelt's like Man in the Arena. Oh, yeah. Of like, you can't ever- oh, I love that. I know. Yeah. You can't ever judge someone who's going and doing it. Right. You can't sit there on the sideline and be like, oh, you, like whatever. Yes. Yeah. Like that, like, like Draco being like, Oh, whatever, Potter, you did whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. He did it. Yeah. You haven't done anything. So that that whole like man in the arena kind of setting, I really enjoyed. I don't know. That's what that took me to. Yeah. No, that. Oh, I love that. I love that. Right. That's a that's a history poll. Uh, um, yeah. But if you haven't, it's a very short poem. Really, it's a very short poem written by Teddy Roosevelt, one of our. Um, great U.S. presidents, but if you haven't read it, do it. Go read it. It's fantastic. That being said, uh, Hermione um, greets the now uh, the two friends who are somewhat bonding again, because Ron comes into the tent with Hermione, and they have a little back and forth, Harry and Ron. And after they essentially make up, for all all things considered, she, she just looks at them, weeping, going, "You're both so stupid." Like, you two are so stupid. And then, like, sprints out of the tent. <laughs> Which I just feel like this is an odd reaction, but okay. Right. And from what Jen and I discussed a little while ago, I agree. It's, this was kind of stupid. It was like, dumb. Figure your stuff out a long time ago. This could have been yeah. settled a long time ago. It's very passive-aggressive. Yeah, which I just don't see two teenage boys being passive-aggressive. No. I see them being aggressive. <laughs> yes. We should mention that this book is written by... A female. A female. Yeah. So I don't know if... Usually she's really good about getting, like, into Harry's mind. Right. Uh, I just felt like this one instance was like, I don't know that this is how teenage boys would handle the situation. But, yeah, yeah whatever. So after the event, we get some high praise from McGonagall. We get some high praise from Charlie, which I believe, like, those two people giving you praise. McGonagall, obviously, but Charlie, too. Like, oh, you're, yeah. you just dealt with a dragon, and the quote-unquote dragon expert here is giving you some props for being like, you did really well with that. That would settle really well with me if I was a competitor here. I'm going to go off on another tangent. One of the books that they looked at, like, Men Who Love Their Dragons... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the title that was, like, Men Who Love Their Dragons. When Hermione and Harry were doing the research. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just immediately thought of, like, Hagrid in his hut with, uh... <laughs> I'm getting... I would be stunned if that wasn't a co-authored Hagrid Charlie... <laughs> yes. ...book. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. It should be. It should be. It should be. Uh, we're going to wreck on that for... <laughs> That's our that's our mental canon right there. 100%. Uh, we do hear that it's going to be three months to the next task. And that the egg is the clue. So they have the information for the next task three months ahead of time. You just have to figure out what it is, uh, which is the challenge. And I will I will agree with Harry. I've always felt like he was like, yeah, 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 that's great. That's great. Now, how did the other champions like really get their dragons beat? Like, how did they do this? And he wanted more detail, and I'm like, yes, Harry. We all want this. We all want this blow by blow. Was it really just one spell for Chrome, or did he take a couple of shots at it? I don't know. Or, you know, how did 
Cedric maneuver the lab or whatever through. Right. I want to know these blow-by-blow -blow details, right. but we don't get them, so whatever. Spin-off series. <laughs> Spin-off series, for sure. <laughs> we covered a lot. Yeah, we, we did. We'll stop right here and we'll go into the spoiler section. We'll get some of Molly's thoughts on previous episodes. Uh, we'll talk some uh, more Moody and some of the stuff that he had in his office, which was kind of... Kill the stag! Alright, so we are back with the spoiler section for chapter 20, the first task. And uh, we're going to dip right into Moody's office, uh, which... You know, we've talked a little bit about how Crouch is playing his role very, very well. And he's decided to decorate Moody's office with all of these kind of dark detectors, as he calls them. And it's, he lists a couple of them specifically. The secrecy <laughs> sensor, which he claims doesn't work because there are so many students lying about like why they didn't do homework or why they didn't come to class on time or what have you. Uh, I got a note on that in a second. Um, Sneakoscope. Uh, which has been spinning constantly, so he disabled it. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> right. And the faux glass, which is a cool bit of magic in that it's a mirror that doesn't reflect the room. It just shows you the enemies that you have, and the closer they are to you, the, the more in focus and sharp the image is. I thought that was a really cool play on words, too. Yes. So. I, yeah, no, it's... I like these. Yeah. Uh, and I like him kind of going through each one and being like, this is what this is. Yeah. But clearly, can we just say the real reason for the secrecy sensor not working and the sneakoscope <laughs> spinning constantly is because of him. Yes. Like, he's constantly, like, it's one big lie that yeah. he's in. Yep. And he's obviously not here with good intentions. <laughs> so all of this is him. It would be interesting, though, if, like, his foes in the faux glass. Clearly it's not Harry, because his reflection would have shown up quite sharp, because right. he's there. Right. Dumbledore is in the same building, so his image would have to be pretty sharp. Moody is in a trunk in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like, who are his foes exactly that aren't showing up clearly, that happen to be, like, in the same vicinity? Right. That is a really interesting thought, because you would think... Karkaroff is still there. Right. Snape is still there. He doesn't like either of those two people. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And then that makes me just think in general about... I guess his father could be one. Because his father at this point in time doesn't have to be yeah. in the castle. Right. So his father could be one. Maybe he just doesn't have very many foes that he very much cares about besides his father. Maybe all of his energy is directed towards his father. You think there's any trick ones? that he'd be wanting to hide, like ones that you wouldn't think of, like Boldy, for example. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, magic is, yes, you can manipulate it, but it also is, right. Well, like we've talked about, kind of its own character, so it's like, it's going to show you what it's going to show you. Right. And if, like the Mirror of Vera said, mm -hmm. it's like, it is what it is. Yeah. No matter if you want to see it or not. Right. So, do you think it would be like some trick? Maybe. foe that's in there that he might not even want to necessarily have disclosed. Right. Or what if some of his foes are already dead? True. Which could very easily be the case. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just interesting. But I'm yeah. thinking like one of the faces should probably have been sharper because uh, yeah. I'd imagine one of them in the <laughs> castle. Right. I don't know. I, maybe yeah. there's a range on it. I, yeah. There is a range on it, but clearly it's a pretty... Yeah. I mean, I'd want to know if one of my mortal foes was in the same building as me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Not just the same room, because at that point it's probably too late, right? Yeah. Anyway, I digress. But yeah, clearly those things are working because it's him. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's causing the distortions. But anyway. One um, of his biggest foe is himself. That's meta. That is deep. <laughs> <laughs> he just walks by the phone and just looks at himself. <laughs> But you know, that would be, okay, that would be interesting though. What if he walks by the faux glass, and instead of Moody's reflection, it is Barty Crouch Jr.'s reflection, but he's still Moody. Oh! Ooh. Oh! 
That would, that would even lean into his deception more. Yes. He's like, yeah, I put that dark wizard away. He's one of my biggest foes. That would be, yes. that'd be so, like, fourth wall breaking. Right? <laughs> like, Mind-blowing. Oh, that'd be a mind trip. Yes. That'd be... Do you have any thoughts on some of the other chapters <laughs> that we've discussed since you've last been on? Yeah, um, a couple things. Um, I'm definitely in the Crouch fan club. Oh, you are? Heck yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. He did a phenomenal come to the dark side. Job. Oh yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I think he did a phenomenal job of playing Alistair. Like, that takes some talent. I think he's a very talented wizard. I'm going to throw a question at you. Okay. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't prep you for this question. No, So then right. I'm throwing something blind at you. All right. But uh, Jen and I recently discussed who the best written character in the series is. Ooh. And I'll, I'll qualify it a little bit. It has to do with a twist. Like, there has to be a twist to it. Because obviously people are like, Harry Potter or Hermione. And yeah, those are great, yeah. well-written characters, of course. But I'm talking like Peter Pettigrew with Scabbers and that twist. Yeah. Or like Dumbledore having a darker side twist. Or, you know, uh, obviously this Crouch Moody twist. Yeah. Like, what do you think? What, what are your two cents on that? Again, apologies for throwing this at you. Oh, no. Um, I mean, this is a pretty amazing twist. Don't get me wrong. But I will say, and I mean, I was—I remember reading this for the first time, just mind blown, like, holy cow, like, Moody is Crouch, Crouch is Moody. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but um, I will say, too, though, I very much enjoyed Neville's arc and... Ooh, okay. It's a different spin on it. Yeah, I very much enjoyed... Enjoyed Neville's I like that spin on backstory, it. how he could have been the one that was chosen by Voldy, but Voldy, you know, chose Harry because it was the most similar situation. I just remember reading that and being like, oh my gosh, you would have never suspected Neville to be this actual powerhouse yeah. that he is. That's true. That's a good spin on it. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I feel like that's a positive spin up. <laughs> yeah. It's more of the positive side. Now, darker side, I think I, I remember the whole Moody Crouch debacle thing, and it was phenomenal. Here's what I'm thinking. It's like, just during this conversation, how I'm thinking about it now, at this point in time, is, so Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew. Mm -hmm. That's a jaw-dropping whoa. Yes. Moment. And yes, on rereads, you're like, well, that was obvious because Scabbers is mentioned every other page. Right. Okay. But with Moody and Crouch, I feel like it only gets better on rereads. Yeah. Like with Ginny being the key to like the Chamber of Secrets, that gets less potent because Ginny, Ginny, mm -hmm. Ginny, Ginny, Ginny. Like, like you get it. This, the, the, Great thing is in the details. Yeah. Like him smelling the sausage when he gets to the Hogwarts staff table. Like him using the flask as like, oh, I don't drink anything that anybody puts in front of me. And I have my flask, which is really poly. Just like just little subtle things. Right. That you don't even notice on your second or third read. And you're like, this is mind-blowingly good. Yeah. Like this is great. Yeah. Um... It's that kind of stuff that, yeah. that puts them up there for me. But. I think, too, like there's a certain factor of trust that you start to gain with him because mm -hmm. just like Harry, like he's giving him like tips, <laughs> you know, without yeah. giving him tips. Yeah. And like you, he's a likable character. You know, <laughs> Dumbledore trusts him. So it's very like when you find out he's actually like this deranged Death Eater, mm -hmm. you're like, what? Let's talk about that for a second, because you're right, and you make a great point, and the, I like the point of, he's almost, to an extent, not as deep of a level, but he's counseling Harry similar to Lupin. Yeah. And he's having those moments of, like, you are good at things. Think mm -hmm. it through. It's not that difficult. And, like, 
coaching him almost. And if you're Harry, at some point you got to stop and be like, I really liked Lupin, werewolf. I really liked <laughs> Moody, not Moody. I really like. What is going on? Right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, you, again, needs therapy. Yes. But it's like if you're Harry, at some point you're like, maybe I should stop confiding in teachers because. Right. Not that Lupin's a bad person. Obviously, no. he's not. And the real Moody is a trip. But better than this. <laughs> but it would. You would feel a little shell shocked to be like. Can I have these heart-to-hearts with these teachers? Because I don't know who they really are. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Right. I think, too, that's just a part of Harry, though. Like, he's just, he's always looking for, and I mean, he has it in serious, but I think he's always, too, just looking for that adult figure for advice from. And, because that doesn't exist in his life. So if he can yeah. have that on a day-to-day basis with, like, especially with a subject, he's like, you know very much interested in I think I mean why he didn't want to confide in Lockhart I don't know but um <laughs> yeah that was one that he didn't believe in from the get which yeah. was good yeah but um I mean I could see too like as he gets older that that need to want to confide in an adult that has had ex- have, that has had life experience would be very tempting uh do you have any other notes from some of the other chapters unforgivable curses i know you had asked um anna and jen like which you think are the worst Mm -hmm. um i think i'm with in jen's camp i think the cruciatus curse would be awful okay um what's the reasoning behind that i mean similar reasons like you're literally being tortured like it takes an evil person to fully go into something to torture them like okay yeah you can you know hit somebody with the killing curse and it is what it is you know right. like but to sit there and torture people like that is sick i understand yeah. taking away free will and not but like and I mean, that is a pretty sinister thing where it's like you feel really awesome and you're doing all these crazy things. It's like you're drugged, right? Mm-hmm. But, oh man, it just makes my stomach turn to think about somebody like cursing someone to torture them. And it's not, it's not that any torture is pleasant, but this just yeah. like the, the look of it is yeah. like violent and contorting and it's... It's, like, gross all the way around, yeah. like, in every sense of that word. Yeah. Um, so, I, I get that. Yeah. So, I think, too, with the, unfor- I think you and Elizabeth were talking about the unforgivable curses and um, Moody teaching them, Crouch teaching them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think... Do I, I think Crouch is going to do whatever he wants to do. He just seems like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, too, think that, like, giving that information to Voldy would be beneficial in a way as well. So do you think he reports back, like, hey, this Harry Potter kid can actually repel the Imperius curse to a degree? I would say say he does to a certain degree is he keeping in constant contact with him i don't think so but i think there has to be some level of contact that they are having and updates for what happens at the end and for their plan so do you think moody or do you think crouch i keep calling moody like we're non-spoilers uh so do you think crouch after his little strategy session with Harry is like, I tried to get this kid for 10 minutes to say he's good at flying a broom and he could not figure that out. Yeah. Like, he just reports that back to like, Volthy or... He has confidence issues. <laughs> right? Insecure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Tom Riddle's sitting there in his like, state that he's in reading this note and he's like, oh, I also am insecure at times. <laughs> like, like, like self yeah, right. <laughs> Staring into the fireplace at the Riddle House. Just like Tom Riddle takes out his diary. Today I've learned that Harry Potter and I are one and the same. <laughs> Peter walks in, he's like, get out of here! Leave me. I'm having a moment. 
single tear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. I love this. Yeah, that's a different spin we took on, on Crouch spying on Harry. That's, that's good. <laughs> Plus, too, I also think it gives, so say if Crouch is, you know, I mean, they're building up to a wizarding war. It also gives information about the students. Like, okay, which student is going to be really in to do these giving true. these forgivable curses? Which students are actually decently good at repelling them, or like which are more easily swayed? And I think you know, because they're they're the new generation. That's true, and we've talked a little bit more about like how is Barty Crouch Jr. a Death Eater, like ride or die? Yeah. Yes, he obviously is because he's carrying out a lot of very uh, sick and sadistic things. And an important task. Right. But at the same time, is he like, like, he's got a mission here, specifically. Yeah. Do you think he's scouting, like, Slytherins and being like, Crab and Goyle could be of use? Yeah. Or Blaze Zabini is a kid to keep a watch on. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or, like, Ravenclaws or whatever have you. Yeah. Uh, or, like, you know... Um, Cedric Diggory, mm -hmm. talented kid, he's fair, he's hardworking, you know, he might, he might be a problem. Yeah. He could be a problem. Like, if he ends up in the Ministry of Magic, it could be an issue. Yeah. Or, you know, Angelina Johnson, or, like, whoever he's picking out as a talented student. His scouting report. Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought of Barty Crouch Jr. as a... A talent evaluator. Yeah, right? But I guess that could be part of his, like a talent scout. Yeah. Just coming... Hogwarts has talent. Just having seen talent scouts bringing in talent to university or collegiate level sports, to see Barty Crouch in that role makes me giggle. I can just see Barty Crouch as Moody sitting at a judge's table for... <laughs> Hogwarts has talent, or like <laughs> Hogwarts Idol, <laughs> yeah. and just have like a Lockhart style stage set up, and just bringing out kids and be like, "Give me your best shot. <laughs> what you got?" Yes. Uh, yeah. And then to your totally other tangent, um, do you know Lana Del Rey, the singer? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. she has a song called "Baby, You're My Ride or Die." I just picture, like, Barty Crouch, like, putting on a leather jacket, just singing Lana Del Rey. <laughs> and he wins the talent show. Well done. Exactly. Well done, Moody. All right. I think, I think that I'm thinking of this correctly. Either way, I'm now equating Barty Crouch, or, um, yeah, Crouch to uh, Lana Del Rey. And now I'm thinking of, <laughs> like, Brendan Gleeson's Moody. <laughs> Like, up there doing his thing. It's great. It's On great. a motorcycle, wearing a leather motorcycle jacket. <laughs> you're I'm talented. We get on some very different tangents when you're on these episodes. It's, I do. It's fantastic. Um, I love it. <laughs> do you have anything else, or do you want to... Um, and then the very last one. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, go for it. Um, is uh, I have to, again, shout out Anna. Jude Law's Dumbledore. Love it. Yeah. It's it's grown on me. The more I've watched those movies and the more I've talked about that character, it's grown yeah. on me. I mean, obviously, my favorite Dumbledore is book Dumbledore. I just love how, how hard he leans into his weirdness <laughs> and how comfortable and okay he is in that. It just makes my heart swell as a, you know, a stone-cold weirdo myself. <laughs> So. Somewhere there's an in-between of Jude Law and like Richard Harris, Michael Gambon, and I'm not sure where that middle is. I hope they find it. But that'd be a very interesting portrayal of Dumbledore to be like yes. transitioning from Tom Ford three-piece suits. Yes. Not Tom Ford because he wasn't around in 1930, but you get my point. Yes. Very nice high fashion suits to sparkly robes yep. and the high buckle boots and the, you know, like, <laughs> And the, like, stereotypical wizard hat. Like, mm -hmm. where did that switch happen and yeah. why? I would love to get. That's the Harry Potter content I need. <laughs> I want a TV series on that. <laughs> uh, what makes the Jude Law Dumbledore so great for you? 
Um, I think it's like his cheekiness. Okay. Like his air and his cheekiness, like the the confidence but quirky factor. I like the understated confidence. Yeah. From him, uh, which is always a thing with Dumbledore, is that like, I know I'm good. Mm-hmm. I don't have to prove it. That being said, I do like to show it off every now and then and like wow you with something. Yeah. Uh, Jude Law plays that really well. He does. And that's something that we didn't get with Richard Harris or yeah. Michael Gambon, is that little, like, let me impress you real quick. Right. <laughs> Don't have to, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I agree. He's a great... He's a great Dumbledore. I've I've bought in. I was skeptical at first. I have bought in. Yeah. Uh, and with that, Dumbledore Judgment, uh, <laughs> we will wrap up Chapter 20, The First Task. Um, like I said at the beginning of this episode, please give us a like, a uh, comment, a review of the episode uh, on wherever you're listening to this, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Anchor itself. Don't forget to leave us that voice message and you could end up on the podcast. Do it. Uh, that'd be really cool. So uh, yeah, leave us all those awesome things. Keep commenting on Twitter and Instagram. We really appreciate all that interaction. It's awesome to see. So Keep it coming. Uh, we've recently been heard in a bunch of new territories around the world. Thank you for listening. That's really cool. So um, it's cool to be kind of heard in all corners of the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will be back next week with Chapter 21, uh, which is just a perfect setup. Molly will be on again. It's a great chapter for Molly in the House Elf Liberation Front. And we will be back with that. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Pod.